Hello and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. We're so glad you could join us today. I hope you're safe and if you're not, please immediately call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE and make sure you're in a safe place when you do that or before you do that. Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit, the Lord is leading me this morning to discuss the topic of forgiveness. Should you forgive your abuser? Well, if you're in a church, obviously the answer is yes. If you believe in Jesus, obviously the answer is yes, obviously the answer is yes, right? Well, let's look at this. In the book of Matthew, God says that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. That is true. Let me tell you Let me explain to you what I learned about forgiveness. When I was in the church and I was still married to um, my abuser, my abusive ex-husband, um, we were part of a marriage ministry. I, I've shared this before on this podcast and I had kept telling the overseers that we shouldn't be and they wouldn't listen to me and I found out years later and I'm kind of brushing over this because I've shared it in a couple of other podcasts so um, please feel free to listen to those episodes if you haven't heard them already but um, I found out later that the reason they hadn't been listening to me I found out years later was that my ex-husband, my, my abuser, had been telling them that I was exaggerating, which I actually was minimizing when I finally shared. Um, but Jesus' ministry was one of reconciliation. Jesus was on this planet, on this earth, to reconcile us to himself. And um, that was his whole, like, mission And his whole job while on this planet was, you know, to, to be um, crucified and resurrected and rise again so that we could live with him someday in heaven. And Jesus' recon ministry of reconciliation included the, the forgiveness of our sins. And so Jesus did that for all of us, for every single human being, including our abusers. Now just bear with me, okay? And it does say in the book of Matthew that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. That is true. Is it Matthew 18? I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but feel free to look that up. You can Google it, etc. That's what I usually do. I'm going to let you do that. Do your homework this time instead of me doing all the work for you. This time you get to look these things up, okay? It'll be good for you. Um, I'm just kind of joking around. I probably shouldn't be with this serious topic. The problem comes in when victims of abuse think that forgiveness is the equivalent of reconciliation um, or condoning or acceptance or tolerance or any of those things um, or trust or trustworthiness. <coughs> It is so freeing to us when we forgive someone who has hurt us. Or sometimes we even have to forgive ourselves. It, like sometimes we're mad at ourselves. If you're anything like me, you know, I can be very hard on myself at times. Um, 
you know, that's something I've always struggled with and, and it's getting a little better as I get older, but um, it's just kind of in the nature of who God made me to be. I always want to try to do and be my best. So sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. And abu as abuse victims, a lot of times we blame ourselves, even for things that aren't our fault or have nothing to do with us. And um, for those of you who could be like me that grew up in an environment where you were constantly being scapegoated, you're used to blaming yourself, whether it has anything to do with you or not. So that's not really a healthy way to be at all. It's not healthy at all. Um, and I want you to understand that no matter how someone else has treated you, God loves you. Scripture, the Bible says in multiple places how much God delights in you. And um, it's really hard to learn how to love yourself when you constantly have people criticizing you putting you down, blaming you and scapegoating you or gaslighting you, blaming you for everything. Because you kind of start getting brainwashed when you hear so much of that, you eventually start to believe it yourself if you didn't already. You know, and some of us already believed it. Um, so I will say that I was very bitter toward my abuser for a lot of years. It took me a really, really long time to get over it, basically. And, um, you know, I, I will never trust him again. Um, I mean, I gave so many chances and opportunities for change. And um, it seemed to happen for a while, and then it just came back. And with a vengeance. <laughs> um, so, should you forgive your abuser? Well, this... The quick answer is yes. However, the yes needs to be with an understanding, okay? First of all, know that you are loved by God and God delights in you. God does not want you to be mistreated in any way, shape, or form. God does not want you to be mistreated in any way. Sometimes I repeat concepts because they're extremely important and I want you to really hear them. Sometimes we gloss over things we hear without really thinking about it. I do it too. But God does not want you to be mistreated. I do not believe that is God's will for your life. Does sometimes God allow us to go through suffering? Yes, absolutely. Like he did with Job when Satan asked to test Job and Job passed with flying colors. I don't know that I would have. I mean, Job went through a lot. Um, but God does not want bad or evil to happen to us. God loves us. And he created us because he loves us, I believe. And um, so it took me many years. And then suddenly one day I'd been praying and asking God, help me forgive my ex-husband because I was really angry and really bitter. And, you know, I kept the abuse quiet for over 10 years. I covered up for him. You know, if I had a bruise on my foot and it was the summertime, I loved to wear flip-flops. I would make sure that I wasn't wearing flip-flops. In the summertime, I would wear socks and shoes, tennis shoes to cover my bruises. You know, I, I would do things, little things that would cover it up. I had a neighbor once that two years after an incident confessed to me, you know, that time you asked me if I was okay. 
I said, yes. And she said, well, I lied. I wasn't okay. She said it was dark at night and you couldn't see, but my husband had given me the worst beating of my life, but you couldn't tell because it was dark outside. It was nighttime. It was like eight, nine o'clock at night on a summer night. And it had just gotten dark out. And she goes, you couldn't tell because he had beaten me on my head. Okay, sorry about that. I had to pause because there was an ambulance going by. I'm sitting on the porch swing on the patio recording. Normally I'm inside. But my neighbor said, you couldn't tell because it was dark outside, but he had beaten me on my head and my head was bleeding, but it was under my hair and it was dark, so you couldn't see it. So um, abuse victims, we have a tendency to cover things up. We cover things up for our abusers. And I had covered things up for him for 10 years and you know, protected his reputation for 10 years and not told the horrible, evil things he had been doing to me and he was doing to me behind closed doors for 10 years. So, you know, all that had built up in me emotionally. And then I finally, when I finally started telling people and confessing to people what just a little bit of what been what had been happening behind the closed doors in my home and what my ex-husband had been doing to me at first nobody believed me and then i mean he seemed so sweet in public i mean he is he's a real sweet person to everyone but me and sometimes his children that's another story but you know he was just so sweet that nobody believed oh no not him Really? He's the sweetest person. And unfortunately, a lot of times, that's exactly how abusers are. They're very sweet in public, but they're very different behind closed doors. So then, um, you know, I, uh, I had held all that in for 10 years. And so when I finally slowly started speaking out and sharing my story and telling the truth about what had been happening to me behind those closed doors, um, it started slowly releasing all that stuff in me that had built up emotionally over all those years. And it was slowly being released, kind of like a tea kettle or a teapot before it whistles or boils or whatever. You know how it just slowly starts letting off steam. That's kind of how I was. I'm not usually good with analogies, but that one, I actually kind of like this analogy, but I was just slowly letting off the steam of my emotions of having kept all that abuse of 10 years in. And, you know, I had called the police to our home off and on during those 10 years. So the police were well aware, but not my, not our friends, not the church, nobody, not my family, not his family. So I took a drink. Um, So I was slowly starting to let off steam and those emotions were slowly starting to surface. And it eventually came to a point where I was angry. Rightfully so. It was a righteous anger. I was so angry at how I had been treated and angry at the person who had mistreated and abused me, angry at God for allowing that to happen to me. You know, you go through all of these things in which I realized later it wasn't God's fault. God gives us all free will. And it was my abuser's choice to treat me that way. It was my abuser's choice to abuse me. He was choosing to abuse me. And if you're being abused, 
It's your abuser's choice. You don't deserve it. It's not your fault. I don't care what you said. You obviously shouldn't say bad things, but it's not your fault. You do not deserve it. I don't care what you've said. You do not deserve to be abused. You just don't. Nobody does. But I was very, um, you know, angry. And, and that anger, it started to fester and it started to grow. And it grew into resentment and resentment grew into bitterness. And I became very angry and bitter. Um, and the anger was a righteous anger. That was a good thing. But the, but the, the resentment that grew and eventually escalated and turned into bitterness, that was an unhealthy thing. Um, it, it just, I took it too far or I let it get too far, let it go too far. And I became very angry and bitter. And I was even bitter before I started telling what had happened and it would come out in other ways. And people, some people just thought that I was just moody or grouchy. And it wasn't that I was moody or grouchy. I'm very laid back person normally. Um, <clears throat> You know, I can be very passionate about certain issues like, you know, um, being pro-life and things like that. But for the most part, I'm a really super laid back person. So when I still wasn't sharing during those 10 years, it had to come out some way, somewhere. And so it would come out. I would get irritable for a second or make some snarky or snappy comment or something, you know, and people are like, what is her problem? Well, her problem is that her husband is abusing her behind closed doors, but nobody knew that, you know? And, um, you know, I was reacting to how I was being treated, but I didn't feel, I also didn't, I didn't feel safe to share what was going on. Um, I wanted to tell my family really badly, but I was fearful because I didn't want to get them involved. And I was afraid he was going to hurt them. And, you know, I, I, it, when you're in that, you can be a little bit irrational and you're so brainwashed. And then, you know, my family, um, they don't walk the same kind of Christian walk I do. So I didn't know how they would react either. Um, plus my family, like, I come from abuse, so why would I turn to the people that had also abused me for help with someone abusing me, you know? Um, and, and some of their abuse was different. I mean, you know, I had a step-parent who was physically abusive of me, but um, the rest of my family, it was more emotional abuse and mental abuse and just constantly putting me down and, um, what's the word being condescending toward me. That was a huge thing and scapegoating me. And so I was so bitter and angry at my then husband and it just came out and I did something I swore I'd never do. My mother used to constantly put my father down around me. And I really hated that because he's my father. I love him too. You know, I understand nobody's perfect. I understand he's not perfect. She's not perfect. But I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear him say anything. My father say anything negative about my mother. I didn't want to hear her say anything negative about him. My mother say anything negative about my father. Because they're my parents. And so I swore I would never badmouth my husband to my children. And unfortunately, I did that a little bit. Nowhere near as much as my parent did 
but I did. And I did some damage, which I repented later, you know, and forgave myself for that. I can't go back and change the past. But I was so angry and so bitter. And I, it would make me angry, too, that he would be, my ex-husband would be blessed by certain things while I was struggling. You know, for example, he made a lot of money and I was unemployed for 15 months when I first separated from him. Just little things like that would just irritate me so much. And I'd be like, I would feel like, God, why aren't you blessing me? Which God was blessing me, you know? It just took some time and God was so faithful through the whole thing. He always provided for everything the boys and I needed because I had custody of the boys, thank God. You know, and um, sometimes he would even provide some of the things that were wants and not needs. They, we just wanted, you know. Um, God was always more than faithful. But I was angry and bitter, understandably angry. But again, I, I allowed that, I let that anger grow into bitterness. And it was because, partially because it went on for so long. Now, I don't want any victim, anyone who's being abused, do not blame yourself. It is not your fault. Again, your abuser is making the choice to abuse you, okay? There may be certain things you are or are not doing or saying that could potentially enable them, but that's not your fault. They are still making that choice. It is still their choice to abuse you. I remember, um, just a quick aside, one day my ex-husband had come to work on a car for one of our children and he was outside and I decided, you know how the Bible says, Pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Well, my ex-husband was the one persecuting me. So I decided to try to do what the Bible said again, as I was always trying to do, and bless my ex-husband because he was persecuting me a lot. And so I decided while he was working on our son's car outside, he wasn't allowed in the home because of, you know, he had strangled me. I decided to be kind and take him a cup of coffee. And I took him the cup of coffee and he looks at me and says, you know, you're the only one I treat this way. And this was another one of his manipulation tactics, which I didn't realize at the time, but it made me so angry. Here I was trying to be kind to him in spite of how he was treating me. And he's trying to tell me it's all your fault that I treat you like this. Um, no, it's not. This is your choice. And I looked at him and it was the first time I really stood up to him and I said, that's your choice. And the look in his eyes was a look of rage, but he was outside and he would never do anything outside. So I knew I was safe. That's another reason I felt empowered to stand up to him right then. I said, that's your choice. And I wanted to communicate clearly to him. And I think I did that. I'm well aware of the fact that it's not my fault that he's choosing to treat me that way. You know, it's not your fault that your abuser is choosing to abuse you. It's not your fault. You don't deserve it. Um, there's been a court case. Uh, what is the guy's name? Jack's the guy that plays Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp. My memory is not the greatest and I, I'm not great with names, but, and then his, the lady that he was married, I don't remember her name, but anyway, they coined a term reactive abuse or reactionary abuse. And I saw that term I'm like, oh my gosh, 
there's no such thing to me as reactive abuse or reactionary abuse. And I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist, not licensed yet. But, you know, to me, that's just absolutely ludicrous. Abuse is abuse. And if you're reacting to abuse, it's because you're human. You're going to react to abuse because you're a human being and any human being would react to abuse. Unfortunately, when you're used to being abused, especially over a long period of time, such as years even, you become accustomed to abuse and your reaction is a lot less because you're so used to it and your body and your mind and your spirit kind of become conditioned to that abuse and you accept it as normal. Beloved, it is not normal to be abused. That is not what God designed us for. That's not our purpose. Um, We are to love. Now, love doesn't mean let everything go. That's a whole nother discussion for another day, another topic. We're talking about forgiveness today. So there, I was so bitter toward my ex-husband. And then one day I had been praying for God to take the bitterness away from me and help me forgive my ex-husband. And one day just poof, out of the blue, I had peace about it. And I had just suddenly, God had delivered me from that bitterness and I was free from it. And I'm so thankful. And I just had suddenly forgiven my ex-husband. I cannot explain it to you. It it was a very supernatural thing. I've never had anything like that happen before then nor since then so far. But just suddenly, poof, one day I had peace and I was no longer bitter toward my ex-husband course some of the damage a lot of the damage had already been done because I had already you know said things about him that were true but were negative Mm. so all the bitterness was gone so please understand when we're when we forgive someone it doesn't mean that we condone what they did or said or do or say what do I mean by condone if we forgive one someone, we're not saying, we're not necessarily saying that it's okay that they did that. So, you know, for example, I'll give you a concrete example. There was one time where my ex-husband shoved me and I deliberately shoved me and I fell halfway down the stairs. There, there was a flight of 14 stairs in our home and I fell about seven, eight steps down at least. I've forgiven my ex-husband for shoving me down the stairs. But will I ever trust him or be around him on stairs again? Goodness, no. No, I I would never trust him. I would be looking behind my back and very jittery and nervous if he were around me around a set of staircase. Is it because I haven't forgiven him? No, it's because I know he can't be trusted. You know, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you grant them access. It doesn't mean you grant them trustworthiness. If someone has shoved you down the stairs, you don't trust them to not shove you down the stairs again. It's not rocket science. You know, they can say they're sorry, which I don't think he ever did. But, you know, that that's between him and God. You know, that's another thing. Forgiveness is is for me. Forgiveness is between God and me. I forgive for God and for me, mostly for me. I forgive for me because if I'm holding on to bitterness, it's not hurting him. He doesn't care. It's hurting me and I need to be free. And the peace that it brings, it is so freeing and so liberating. It's just incredible. I can't even describe it. It's so wonderful. Like I was in tears of gratitude when that, that burden was just lifted and that weight lifted off my shoulders. 
So that's the first thing. Forgiveness does not necessarily imply, it doesn't imply condoning the behavior or the words. And it does, forgiveness does not imply trustworthiness. Forgiveness does not also necessarily mean you have to reconcile either. Just because you forgive someone does not necessarily mean you have to get back together with them. Um, in my own marriage situation, we were married a grand total of 17 years. During that time, I separated, officially separated three times. The first time was for two days, the second time was for five months, and the third time ended up being for a total grand total of three and a half years before I finally filed for divorce. So I gave, and those were just the official chances I gave, but I gave numerous opportunities to my ex-husband to try to stop abusing me, basically, to put it bluntly. And um, the first or second time we separated, um, I convinced him and he went to a place called a center for nonviolence. And it took a couple of months, but eventually they really, really helped him. And he seemed to get better and was abuse free for three years when it suddenly started happening again. And that three years was the longest we had been abuse free, but then it started happening again. And then the next time we separated, I asked him to go back to the center for nonviolence and he refused saying that his lawyer said if he went back, it would be an admission of guilt and be him like him saying he's guilty. He was guilty, but he was in denial and didn't want to admit it. And um, the night he went to jail, he, because I didn't put him in jail, because he had threatened me that if I had put him in jail, he would take our children, our two sons, disappear in Mexico where he's from and get lost and I would never find him or my children again. And so that's part of how he controlled me, plus the finances, plus a lot of other stuff that people don't realize. Um, you know, and I've forgiven him for all of that. And by the way, just so you know, Mexico has a treaty with the U.S. They can't do that. Um, my divorce lawyer reassured me years later that if he had tried to do anything like that, he wouldn't have been able to because... Um, there's a treaty between Mexico and the United States of America, and they would have found the children for me. I can't imagine going through all that, but um, it was a bit of a relief and comfort to know that he couldn't actually do that. But th that was a very manipulative, controlling thing he did. And by the way, if he, he, he very well realized what he was doing was wrong, or he wouldn't have threatened that to me, which I didn't realize at the time. But, you know, once you're out of that brainwashing, you think a lot more clearly you know, and, um, to be fair, the church didn't know everything that was going on. And when I tried to meet with some of the leadership at the church, it was always with him and me together. Well, you can't marriage counseling and pastoral counseling does not work for abuse cases. In fact, that can put the abuse victim in a lot more danger and jeopardize them. They can actually die from that. So do not if you're a pastor, do not, please do not counsel a, an abused couple together. It doesn't work because, first of all, the victim's not safe because whatever is said or done there, they're going to suffer for later at home. And if they actually tell the truth, they're going to pay for it when they get home. And by pay, I mean to be clear, suffer some sort of abuse at the hands of their abuser. The abuser is going to punish the victim for telling the truth because they were exposed and they don't like that. 
they don't want the truth exposed. They need that facade to be kept up so they can keep this public image up. At least in my case, that's how it was. Some of them don't care and don't care about their public image, but the ones like mine, is it, I think maybe it's called covert. I'm not sure. But anyway, it, like the ones in my case, they, they have a public image they want to maintain and uphold. And if you do anything to threaten that, like tell the truth in a pastoral or marital counseling session about what he's really doing to you at home, you're going to suffer at home. So be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, as the scripture says, and do not abuse victims, be wise and gentle and pastoral and leadership of church. Please do not try to do marital counseling with an abused couple. It will not work. In fact, it will endanger the victim even more than they already are. So forgiveness um, doesn't necessarily mean reconciling. As I said, I gave my ex-husband multiple chances to stop being abusive, to put it bluntly and crudely, but it is what it is, right? I'm just telling you the truth and I'm being blunt and speaking the truth and I'm trying to speak in love here. So, you know, finally God revealed to me Malachi 2.16 and um, told me that he hates a husband's violence toward a wife just as much as he hates divorce. And I finally filed for divorce and evidently my ex-husband went around telling everyone that I was a sinner because I, was fil I filed for divorce and I was the one who filed. So I was the sinner. Whatever, dude. I'm not the one who broke the marriage covenant. I did everything within my power to try to help. I stayed with a man who strangled me. I went back to a man who strangled me. You cannot accuse me of not trying. Okay? So, um, and unfortunately, um, abuse victims go back an average of six times to their abusers before they finally escape. I forget where I got that statistic, but it's in multiple places. Feel free to research it. And let me know if you find one of the sources where I've, I've read this so many places. Um, so forgiveness, you can forgive your abuser and you should, but that does not mean you take them back. That does not mean you say what they did was okay. That does not mean that you, that they do it again to you. That does not mean that. That does not mean that it's okay for them to abuse you. So that is true forgiveness when you forgive them, but also hold them accountable. Thanks for listening today. Stay safe. God bless you. I love you, but Jesus loves you more. Until next time.